630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, hello, humans. How are you doing tonight, man? We got a lot to get to tonight on Inside Sports. The Edmonton Elks back on the field. Oh, my goodness. They could not get it done against the Ottawa Red Blacks. A lot of offensive drives that led nowhere. And then one at the end of the game, one yard short. We will break that down with Blake Dermott a little bit later on tonight. We'll look back on the Olympics. A pretty good one for Canada overall. 11th in the medal standings with 24 medals. Canada's best total. Canada's best total in a non-boycotted games. We had 22 in 96 and in 2016. We did have 44 in 1984 in Los Angeles. The Soviet bloc countries did not take part in those. We're going to look back on the Olympic Games. And I can tell you that within about the last hour or so, Sherwood Park's Kelsey Mitchell has landed at the Edmonton International Airport. She took gold in the cycling sprint, the track cycling sprint. Canada's uh, one of seven gold medals for Canada during the Olympics in Tokyo. Now, Kelsey Mitchell, uh, an incredible story. We had her on Inside Sports two years ago in August of 2019. And, she, and she's a pretty incredible story because she, uh, she didn't really get into cycling until early in 2018. So less than four years later, she's an Olympic gold medalist. And back during that interview, it's worth just flashing back to this. She told the story about how she got into cycling. So I played sports my entire life, uh, mainly soccer. Um, so I was always an athlete. And then I played my uh, five years, at, two years at University of Alberta, and then three with the Nate Dukes. Finished um, soccer, didn't really know what I was going to do and then I signed up for a program called RBC Training Grounds. Um, it's basically an Olympic combine where they'll test athletes on their speed, power, strength and endurance um, and then national sport organizations can reach out to you depending on if they want to do some additional testing and Cycling Canada reached out and here I am. <laughs> so this, they kind of noticed you because you were doing so well. Uh, yeah, my uh, leg power was pretty good, and so they wanted to recruit me. Your leg power was pretty good. Can you can you explain? I mean, yeah. I'm not making fun of it. It just sounded funny. Can you explain that a bit more? Um, yeah, so I did one of the tests was a vertical jump, um, and after I did that, a uh, cycling Canada representative pulled me aside and got me on uh, a watt bike um, just to see what my numbers were. I did 1,200 some watts, which, I mean, it meant nothing to me at the time, but he's like, that surpasses the national standard. Um, and so they flew me out to Milton, Ontario, did some additional testing, and my numbers were good. And then they got me on a bike and then on the track, and yeah. So that is the cycling origin story, so to speak, for Kelsey Mitchell, who was a soccer player. She played two years at the U of A and three years at Nate and then basically went to this session where they're looking for Olympic athletes. And as she told you, well, it looks like your legs are pretty strong. Do you want to try cycling? Well, it, it worked out. Absolutely outstanding performance for Kelsey. Again, that was from our interview with her after uh, that was in the summer of 2019 when she'd gone to the Pan Am Games in Peru and won a gold in the sprint and a silver in the team sprint and now an Olympic gold medal on top of that. So that is a pretty cool story. Speaking of the Olympics, we're going to touch on the winter variety here, which will happen in Beijing in 2022. 
the coach of the Canadian hockey team, if the NHL goes, and that is still if uh, still is an if, John Cooper going to be the head coach, Bruce Cassidy, Peter DeBoer, and Barry Trotz, the assistant coaches. It is still up in the air if the NHLers will participate. You may remember when the schedule came out a couple of weeks ago, there was an Olympic break in the schedule. In fact, it kind of works out weird for the Oilers because they don't have a home game between late January and early March. The NHL says there's another version of the schedule. If they don't go to the, to the Olympics, they'll have to go with that one. But that was announced today. John Cooper from the Tampa Bay Lightning will be the head coach. If the NHL goes to the Olympics, he'll be the head coach for Canada. Bruce Cassidy, Peter DeBoer, and Barry Trotz, the assistant coaches. One player who could have a shot could have a shot at being on the blue line for Canada at those Olympic Games. Oilers defenseman Darnell Nurse, he was part of the big stories on Friday as he signed a contract extension, eight years, $9.25 million per season. Now, remember, that doesn't kick in until next fall. He'll play out the final year of his current contract this coming season. Darnell joined me on Inside Sports on Friday, and I said, hey, man, like you just look more confident offensively. You know what to do with the puck better when you get into the ozone. That was definitely a part of it to to be more comfortable with the puck and and see plays, not so much try to force them or, you know, escape myself into a bad situation where you know where there was only one option and probably not not a great option. Um, so that uh, that's a part of it, and obviously, I I think for a long time I've been getting myself to get you know spots on the ice to to get shots off and and you know whether it's joining the rush or you know finding that late man's ice and you know maybe not trying to. You know, I try to pick the top corner and go high all the time and, and try to, you know, hit different areas of different areas of the net. I think that that may have came in and, and helped a little bit. And, you know, so I, I think it's just a combination of things that as as years go on and, and as a player, you get more and more comfortable in the lead that the game, everyone says it, but it's so true. The game starts to slow down a little bit and you, you start, just start to, you know, become meet more and more comfortable shift by shift and, and, and game by game. So. It's uh, going into my seventh year now and, and been around the league for a bit and just feel like, you know, you get more comfortable and, you know, there's, there's no satisfaction with, uh, with how the year went or there's no satisfaction with uh, where my game's at right now. I just want to continue to get better. I feel like there's even more steps to take. All right. So that's a little bit from Darnell Nurse. That full interview available on the Inside Sports podcast. If you sign up for the podcast, you also get a canned ham delivered right to your house, or you can go to the show page on 630Ched.com. Some Oilers notes from over the weekend. Brendan Perlini, former first-round draft pick, signed to a two-way contract. He spent last season in Switzerland. And goaltender Stuart Skinner, who got his first NHL win this past season against the Ottawa Senators in the only game he's ever played in the NHL. Of course, a mainstay for the Bakersfield Condors between their pipes. He signs a two-year, two-way contract, and Stuart Skinner is going to join us for an update on his life and career between 7.30 and 8 tonight. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Elks and Oilers Radio 6.30. Ched, we have that next Elks game coming up on Saturday, this time against Montreal 3.30 for the countdown to kick off. The game starts at 5. You can get in touch. Follow me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. You can email inside sports at 630Ched.com. You can text or call the show at 780-496-0063. If you are calling, you are using the hotline presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. Jack Michaels is going to check in in a few minutes. The story out of Pittsburgh today is that one of the all-time great voices in the National Hockey League is hanging up the microphone, Mike Lang, 
play-by-play voice of the Penguins since 1974. Since 1974, he is uh, stepping away from the play-by-play chair for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Also some news today surrounding one of our junior football teams. The Edmonton Wildcats have a new home. Darcy Park, their head coach, will enlighten us on that move later on tonight as well. We have a lot to get to. We'll call a quick timeout. Jack Michaels when we get back. Murphy shooting, same every battle to view. Off the boards to Dupuis, to Crosby. Darts into the Islanders' end, goes to the net. Hey! Schultz and Starr with a gorgeous backhander, and the Penguins take a 1 0 lead. Oh, slap me, silly Sydney. Oh, get in the fast lane, Grandma. The bingo game is ready to roll. With Kennedy over the right side, Talbot shoots. He scores! Max Talbot beats goaltender Osgood like a rented mule. Never got through. Loose puck down to the net. Save made. Rebound. Oh, big save by Flurry. And it is. That's it. The Pittsburgh Penguins have won this hockey game. The Penguins have won the Stanley Cup. And Lord Stanley scratched their names on your fabled cup. One second left to go. And the puck into the car corner. And it's all over. The Pittsburgh Penguins have won the Stanley Cup. And you can tell your ma, you can tell your pa, I'm going to send you back to Arkansas. Stanley Cup champions 2017, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, Lord Stanley, Lord Stanley, get me the brandy. Well, I got to thank the producer of this show, Dave Campbell, for putting that montage together. And I would guess perhaps the most fun Dave Campbell has had at work in a while. Those are some clips of the great Mike Lang, play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins since 1974. Yeah, 46 uh, seasons with the Penguins. I guess one was wiped out 0405 with the uh, lockout. So at 73 years of age, he's stepping away from the play-by-play, Mike. Just such a unique voice and obviously called some really great players and teams along the way. And uh, this gentleman, who's now the play-by-play voice of your Edmonton Oilers here on 630 Chet and on Sportsnet, Jack Michaels, of course, grew up in western Pennsylvania. Jack, uh, I mean, give me a sense of what it was like having Mike Lang as your your local play-by-play guy when you were a younger individual. Well, I mean, the thing was, Reed, is, is Pittsburgh, you know, they kind of make fun of L.A. As, as far as a place that's impossible to get a play-by-play job with Vince Scully and Chick Hearn, you know, <laughs> being the voice of, of Los Angeles athletics for so many years. The same was true in Pittsburgh. I mean, they had Bob Prince, uh, they had Jack Fleming, you know, in football, and now Bill Hillgrove 
I mean, you you just couldn't break through. These were voices of Pittsburgh and and guys that were absolute icons in the city. And what's interesting about Mike Lang and what distinguished him with, you know, from some of those other voices, he was a California kid. You know, he wasn't Pittsburgh through and through uh, until he carved out a legendary four-and-a-half-decade career. And, you know, now he's as much of an icon as any of those guys. And, you know, for me, the thing with Mike Lang is it wasn't about the catchphrases. It was about his ability, especially in the early 90s, where, as you know, Reed, it was free-flowing, no penalties, you know, come-as-you-are kind of hockey. And he could recite paragraph upon paragraph of uninterrupted action uh, and and an unbridled pace without so much as a stumble. And that's what really attracted me to the profession in the first place. The mastery of the language, the mastery of the pace, the mastery of the game, the mastery of the moment. And that's what made him a great play-by-play guy. I could really care less about all the catchphrases. It wasn't my thing. It never was what made him great in my estimation. Well, I think that's a good point, but I do think the catchphrases are are relevant to talk about. Robin Capilano just wrote in. He says, well, scratch my back with a hacksaw. Hope they get a replacement in Pittsburgh that will be as legendary as Mike Lang. Like, how did he pull off the catchphrases because uh, some like, like you and I know, and I, I've done it. Sometimes you try something and you think it's going to be funny or cute, and then it just falls flat. Like, how did Mike pull it off that it became part of what he's known for, even if that's not what you know him for? Well, yeah, and, and it's funny because in Pittsburgh, I think the catchphrases are, you know, I mean, they're still popular, but he's just known as the Hall of Famer. I think. What attracted him outside of that regional situation was the fact that, you know, he could call a hell of a game. And that's what, you know, that's what, of course, attracted him to me in the first place. But, look, you talk about, uh, you know, a guy that it was the master of the language. It was, you know, something about scratch my back with a hacksaw. The the sense of irony, the, the kind of whimsical nature of it. Uh, you know, some of it made sense, you know, top shelf or mama keeps the peanut butter. I, I, I mean, there was some stuff that hides the cookies. There was some stuff that made sense in a strange way. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's what, that's what also held some appeal is that his language, you know, combined with the fact that he also, you know, could spin could spin something funny yet somehow have it make sense all right so before i let you thanks for doing this i didn't realize till a little while ago you're actually uh trying to get uh, a bit of family time and on vacation in here so thanks for still coming on to talk about mike lang what what mike lang's mike lang for me i mean what people in edmonton should realize is mike lang for pittsburgh was every bit as important as ron phillips was to edmonton I mean, he really was. That He held that kind of position in Edmonds, you know, in Pittsburgh. The same kind of and, – and if you ask Rod, he'd tell you the same thing. And just like Rod, Mike was a hell of a guy away from the mic. And that's what endeared him to the public. Not just the fact that he was a great broadcaster, but he's a great guy, a great ambassador for the team, a, a guy that – 
you know, especially for those Pittsburgh teams in the late 70s, early 80s that didn't have much mojo, like Rod kind of connected that WA, WHA version of the Oilers to Edmonton, Mike Lang was that ambassador of hockey. He was the introduction of the sport to a city that, especially in the late 70s, was all Steelers and then briefly, you know, Pirates 1979, right? So he, to some degree, had an even more uphill battle. You knew where I was going. I was going to ask you for the comparison to Rod Phillips, so you went there without even me having to say it. You can read my mind, Jack. Thanks for coming on. Enjoy the rest of your evening, buddy. Hope to see you when you're back in town. All right, Rennie. Cheers. That is Jack Michaels checking in, play-by-play voice for your Oilers on 630 Chet and Sportsnet West. He grew up listening to Mike Lang. Lang, one of his inspirations, and uh, Mike Lang, the great Penguins play-by-play voice, is starting to retire uh, after uh, being uh, in the, Peng- uh, the Penguins broadcast chair, the play-by-play chair, since 1974. Hey, I want to uh, wish a, a happy birthday to Ed tonight. Ed, I believe this is number 80 for you. So I hope it's a great day. I hope you got a great year ahead of you. And I appreciate that you're listening to Inside Sports. You might be having a barbecue or something tonight, and I hope it's delicious. Happy 80th to Ed on Inside Sports. Back after the news and weather. across the 40 he's across midfield Harris is the only one who can catch him he's trying to angle him out but it's not going to happen and Abdul Kenna is going to have a scoop and score as he flips into the end zone 16 seconds left clock is running Harris in the pocket he'll throw and it is complete to Wilder he'll get to the 20 and dives out of bounds at about the 16 yard line with seven seconds to go oh my what a finish we're in for here on the brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium Harris waits for the snap there it is takes a, a long drop looks he's going to go to the end zone possibly now he throws it's over the top and uh, opening and tuck gets to the one yard line before he gets taken down no time as time expires no time. oh my it was that close and tuck couldn't get it to the end zone taken down at the one yard line you can't come any closer well this gentleman and i spent most of the last 18 months Talking about seasons being canceled. Pressure from sponsors to change a name. An actual name change. A lot of stuff that wasn't very pleasant. So I guess talking about a loss in which the team didn't score a touchdown is still a step up on the happiness scale, though it was a frustrating night at Commonwealth Stadium on Saturday. The Ottawa Red Blacks beating the Edmonton Elks 16-12. Blake Dermott, our in-game analyst for Elks football here on 6:30, Chad is on the line. Blake, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine, Reed. I'm. Uh, you know what? I'm. I'm much better today than I was Saturday night because I was. I was really disappointed Saturday night. I. I uh, but I. I've had a couple of days to realize there's other things in my life. <laughs> and uh, but I still. I still. I look at that. That day. That night. That. That whole thing. You know. Uh, uh, over 30,000 people at the game, a uh, good crowd, uh, considering the, 
the the crappy weather that went on for most of the day and when you and when you're looking at walk-up crowds that impacts that but still had a good turnout of people everybody was excited the Elks come out at 437 yards of offense moved the ball pretty well uh and, and nobody really ever felt that this game was in hand considering uh, the the Elks defense held the Red Blacks offense to 70 yards, 71 yards of passing and 50 yards of rushing. I mean, how do you lose a game when you've, you've uh, got uh, uh, 417 yards to like 130? And then with about three minutes to go, you... You throw an interception, which really wasn't, uh, you know, Trevor Harris threw himself on the sword after the game, and, and uh, uh, I, you know, I, I, I felt for him, but, but, I mean, the ball hit the receiver in the hands, bounced out of his hands, right into the hands of uh, uh, the, the Red Blacks defender, and off he went for a 70-yard uh, return or 75, whatever it was. But it almost doubled their offense in one play with three minutes to go in the game. And, uh, and you just went, they're going to lose this game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, and, and they missed, and, and the Elks missed two field goals. Um, I, I, uh, they missed. Well, did they miss? Reed, I'm sorry. Did no, they I miss one? White, I think White was four for four. I th- yeah, I think you're White right. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah, I was thinking of the 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 uh, the, the game the, the the previous night when uh, um, the BC guy the BC missed Lions a bunch missed of points. Two. They could have won. Yeah. Yes, that's that's what it was. Yeah. So I mean, they just they just didn't get you know three uh, twelve points uh, in that game when you've got that many yards of offense. It was really frustrating. I mean, it was some positive things that the the the, the offense can move the ball and that defense is lights out. Uh, you know, we were talking about uh, Matt Nichols in the, over the last three or four years is uh, one of the highest-rated quarterbacks for wins, um, and uh, and they held him to 70 yards passing. Uh, so it was difficult to be disappointed about that. But but when you see at the end of the day that you let one get away badly, um, and th- that's one that you'll never be able to get back. And when you only have 14 games this year, I hope that they're not sitting here at the end of November going, God, remember that first game of the year? Yeah. Okay, a few things I want to ask you because I think there are a few storylines and and I want to get your opinion on them. First of all, we know that the teams hadn't played since November of 2019. Everybody was affected by that. I think we saw some offenses with high expectations stumble, like the Elks, like the Hamilton Tiger Cats. In the Elks case, do you think they were affected by not having a walkthrough on Friday? Would that affect any of the timing and execution the day after? Um, I'm not sure that that had a whole lot to do with it, much like I don't think that an exhibition game had a lot to do with it. I think more than anything, what, what, what impacted the way these teams uh, performed, and, and let's, let's be honest, I mean, the games weren't beautiful, the football was football, but there were some close games, and the biggest blowout was the, was the first game of the, of, of the weekend, uh, that Hamilton game, and that really wasn't much of a blowout. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like a three touchdown score. They just there were teams that that found it difficult to keep consistent. Hamilton comes out the first uh, first drive goes all the way down the field, you know, scores. Um, Edmonton first drive marches down the field, only gets a field goal out of it. Uh, so there was there was there was sharpness in the game at times. But I mentioned, I mentioned in pregame, I thought one of the the keys in this game was going to be the coaching staff's ability to make adjustments and the players' ability to make adjustments. Um, and I, I said that the coaches would probably never have to coach a game quite this hard in their careers or going forward because 
every game that you play, you've got something to prepare with. You know, you've got tools, you've got film, you've got you've got history. But when you go two years and everybody's playing someplace else and coaches are coaching someplace else, and on top of that, you don't even have a game film to look at, it was going to be challenging. It was going to be difficult for any team to be consistent because of that. Because you got good, smart coaches on the other side. You know, they, they'll throw wrinkles at you, like – like that that uh, punt return that that Ottawa threw that that was brilliant that happened to be called back because it was thrown forward, but I mean that is the kind of stuff that that you don't know what you're going to expect yet you don't know what teams have for tendencies and so that's why I said it's going to be very difficult for teams to be consistent um, because of that um, and and that's the way it's going to be for the first couple of uh, first couple of ga- uh, weeks because until teams get a book on you you, you, you they don't have any idea what you're going to do. Blake Dermott joining us tonight at Inside Sports for breaking down the Elks 16-12 loss to the Ottawa Red Blacks. Like Blake mentioned, the stats were in favor of uh, the Elks. Uh, Harris, 75% completion, 333 yards, but he was picked off three times. Wilder ran for 89 yards, which is pretty good. Walker had 98 yards receiving. Uh, Wilder, 72. A couple other guys up over 45. But unfortunately, the yards didn't turn into a lot of points. I want to ask you about the last play. And I know that a whole bunch more happened in the game besides the last play. So we don't want to put everything on that. But there's seven seconds left. Okay, so they snap the ball. They're not throwing a quick out that's going to take four seconds to give themselves another shot at the end zone. Harris checks down, throws it to Tuck, who stopped on the one. Blake, it was an exciting play. But when Tuck caught the ball, and maybe you thought differently than me. I can only tell you how I felt. When Tuck caught the ball... I thought there's no way he's getting into the end zone. Like there's three red blacks waiting for him. Like does does Harris not have to chuck that into the end zone no matter what in that situation? Like tell us what's going on on that play. Yeah, I know that's a that's a, a good question. I never thought about throwing it away on that. But uh, uh, according to what uh, you know, listening to Harris talk about it after the game, he said he. Yeah, he, because of the, um, you know, the, there's a little bit of pressure. Well, think about this first of all. But yeah, and I just, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying throw it away. I'm I'm saying you got to throw it into the end zone and give your guy a chance to grab it or get or be interfered with or something. Well, I well I think throwing it away would have been as good an option as chucking it into the end zone and risking it getting picked off or something like that. But here's here's what you're you're going to face. They're on the 15, 16 yard line, whatever it was, and. There was not a uh, Ottawa defender that was in that middle ground. They they drop back to the goal line because if they throw it short, we'll come up and make a tackle. So now you've all of a sudden got the rushing four guys. You got eight guys in the end zone, eight guys in the end zone covering six, five, uh, six guys at most. So you're you've got more guys covering than they got players, and. Uh, and according to Trevor, he said, you know, he dropped back into the pocket. He uh, he, he was forced to move uh, to the right, and then he had to step up. And when he stepped up, he, he said, I was eyeballing one guy, and uh, uh, I, I realized I didn't have the time, so I had to check down. So when you throw down, with the movement in the pocket, you know, you're looking at three seconds anyways, even in, you know, an excellent time, seven seconds to go, three seconds anyways, Harris is still in the pocket with the ball, and he throws it, and now the guy's got to catch the ball, turn around, and run to the end zone. There was no way. There was the time, the thing that should have happened, could have happened. So that's not going to be. If there was, if Harris doesn't have something immediately because of the lack of time, that's why I said the ball should have been thrown away. 
so now you got one second left or two seconds left because there was no other option that way if he threw to the end zone at that period of time there was too many guys in that coverage you would have to have caught somebody on a break uh uh you know in in a in a uh, exact pattern so they've come, they were coming open at the at the exact time that that timing was lost by that by the time that he threw the ball so the ball should have been in order to get a chance that should have been put into the dirt or something and uh and of course, you're trying to win. You're trying to do all those things. You're not. You're thinking about the, the perfect pass, the perfect play. And by the time you make the decision, throw the ball away. It's too late. So the only option he had was to give it to Tuck. And I thought Tuck did an excellent job of getting down to the one yard line. But you, you could see from the sidelines, just like you, I was looking at it, going, "Well, he's not going to make it unless right. somebody blows a tire <laughs> or something, and he's able to follow <laughs> to the end zone." But, but it was it was an exciting play, uh, uh, exciting way to end the game, but still was uh, really disappointing at that point. Okay, so I, and I want to ask you about the defense because that was a huge positive. But I, I think we got to touch on the offense a little bit here because the points weren't there. Was something and 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 I, I referenced you a couple times when I've talked about the game because you've always told me be careful about criticizing play calling. Because you don't know the play that was called. If it was executed properly, if the defense had the perfect call to counteract it, if an offensive player did something totally wrong (laughs) on the play. But there were a lot of passes, a lot of short passes, a lot of check downs. Um, You know, that's why Wilder had all, all those receptions where it almost seemed to me like the ball wasn't being released in the timing that it that it looked like they were hoping on on the play. That was just my observation, and, and I and I know he completed seventy five percent of his passes, but they didn't have a lot of plays that reeled off big chunks of yards. No, and and the only one that they did was called back because of the chop block. Really, you know, there was there wasn't there wasn't the opportunities, and that's that's the kind of the, the defense that they were playing. You know, they would they were playing a really solid zone coverage. They were they were uh, dropping back, letting you have all the stuff underneath, then come up and make the play, and and that will give a guy like Trevor Harris an opportunity to make the reads, dump the ball off, get lots of good stats, high percentage passing, but as you mentioned, you never really get the threat in downfield because they've taken that kind of stuff away. And I thought early in the game when that big long pass, there was one time that they were in that, that, that kind of coverage where you're going to take a chance. And uh, they relied on their, their front four, maybe a fifth guy coming, but, but no more than that the majority of the time. So the pressure wasn't there. They were just going to allow Trevor Harris to throw the shallow. And the, the, uh, the theory on that is that, yeah, we'll give him, we'll give him seven five-yard passes in a row but he's going to miss the eighth one. And and that's what ended up happening. We saw a drive stall. Well, you only get 12 points in the game because you didn't continue your drives because you have to be perfect every time. And that was a smart a smart defensive structure by by uh, uh, the Red Blacks. It was really smart. But uh, it's frustrating as an offense because you, you really can't take the shot downfield very, very often. And you can play that way when you got a good defensive line getting pressure and then uh, credit to them, they got, uh, got a couple of sacks and, and of course uh, did, gave, gave enough pressure to allow um, uh, uh, Harris to throw two interceptions because the third way count is when they threw, but so they, they did enough. Uh, so their defense played pretty well too. They didn't, they didn't give up the points and they certainly didn't, uh, didn't give up the big plays. And, uh, uh, but yeah, no. And then when you look at uh, the defense of the Elks, 
Well, yeah, how, do you, how, how do you say they didn't have a great game? You know, you got basically three rookies playing linebackers. You got a virtually a whole new look on the defensive back backs, and and their defensive line, which was what we thought was going to be the key to this, with Botang, Moore, uh, Serezna, and Betts. You know, those guys got after it, uh, got uh, uh, sacks, three sacks, I believe they got. Or, or was it four, Reed? I can't remember, three or four. But five they, total for the game. It was five for the oh, game, yeah. Five total, yeah. So they, they got pressure. They, they they made it very difficult on Nichols. They didn't allow him to run the ball at all. I mean, how do you – they just controlled that. And, and uh, so from that standpoint, they were they were fantastic. When you when you talk about Wilder, Wilder had what is it, 158 combined yards. I think he had more combined yards than the whole Red Blacks offense. So, so there there were some really good bright points there, but yeah, the uh, playing that kind of defense is a frustrating thing, and we're seeing teams play that a lot the, over the last couple of years, especially when they play against Trevor Harris. They'll yeah, let them get yeah. some, they'll let them get, get completions, but then they don't allow them to go deep. Yeah, that's for sure. And I was going to ask you about the D line, but you touched on it. They they were absolutely uh, absolutely awesome. Well, Blake, uh, hey, you know what? I'm glad we're talking football as opposed to all the stuff we had to wade through <laughs> last year. So even if it was a loss, at least we're breaking down plays and performances and seeing how they can get better for this weekend against Montreal. We'll do this again next week, buddy. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Reed. Uh, thanks for having me on. That is Blake Dermott checking in. Leonard writes in. He says, Reed, I was uh, at the game. In my opinion, the Elks didn't try to stretch the field enough. There was no way it should have come down to the last play of the game. Too many missed opportunities. I also think that the Elks were out coached, but the defensive line impressed me. Yeah, you got you to gotta try and reel off large chunks of large uh, yardage. And it doesn't necessarily mean throwing long bombs, but you have to have those plays where you get 15 to 25 yards and gouge it a little bit that way like Blake said if you try to complete five yard passes all the time eventually you'll miss one and then that's a win for the defense we have a contest everybody and I want you to play 630 Ched wants to send you and three friends out for a day of golf at Edmonton Springs Golf 780-496-0063 I will have a trivia question for you after the break I want you to answer it live on the air and you will get the golf passes, 780-496-0063. Kellen will line up the contestants, and I'll talk to you in a couple of minutes. All right, so we're giving away... Four passes, basically. You and three friends can go for a day of golf at Edmonton Springs Golf Course. Now, Jonathan, you're going to be up first, and then if Jonathan doesn't get it, then it's going to be Rick, and then it's going to be Norm. So I just want to give Jonathan the heads up that he's the first guy we're coming to. And Jonathan and Rick and Norm, if it goes to you guys, and, and we're giving away these passes all week long. So if you don't get it tonight, maybe you can win another day. We're going to do golf trivia all week. And you guys know I love doing trivia live. We haven't done a, really been any of it during the pandemic because you can't come to the station to pick stuff up. But now we have stuff we can give away. So we, I got a famous piece of play-by-play here. And then the question is going to be, who is the play-by-play voice? Kellen, roll it. Seen anything like that? The famous in your life 
call from Tiger chipping in on the 16th hole in the final round of the 2005 Masters. Jonathan, you're on Inside Sports now. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Who was doing the play-by-play in that clip? Do you remember? Uh, no idea. Okay, that's all right. We will, Jonathan, try again later in the week for something. Rick, who was doing the play-by-play for that Tiger chip-in? Rick dropped. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we got Norm. Norm, who was doing the play-by-play in that clip? I have no flipping idea. Sorry. There's no fl- I, I made it too hard for everybody. All right, well, p- do we have anybody else right now, Kellen? Line four is coming up. I made it too hard for people because I am a nasty, nasty jerk. I'll have an easier question tomorrow when Jonathan, Rick, and Norm can try again. Well, Rick hung up before we could even get him on. Who did the play-by-play? Glenn is up next. Glenn, who was calling that chip by Tiger? Was it Jim Nance? It was not Jim Nance. Jim Nance was is, is on the CBS broadcast. He works the 18th hole. He was not doing that hole. Kellen, play it again. Okay, can you play the clip again, Kellen? Okay, Richard's on the line. Very famous piece of play-by-play. Who's calling that shot, Richard? I'm thinking uh, Brian Hall, maybe. It was not Brian Hall. To my knowledge, uh, Brian Hall has never uh, done play-by-play at the Masters. All right, well, call in to Kellen. I don't know if we'll get you live on the air. Uh, Kellen, I will text you. I'll tell you the answer when we go to commercial here. This is for uh, you and three people to go for a day of golf at Edmonton Springs Golf. We're going to be giving this away all week. Yes, I am a diabolical old bastard. That question was clearly too difficult. It'll be an easy... Tomorrow, it'll just be spell golf. But today, I want to know the play-by-play voice for Tiger's chip in in, uh, in 2005. Somebody got it on the text line, but you got to call in. Somebody guessed Bob Barker. It's not Bob Barker. We'll uh, wrap up the Olympics when we get back. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.